Hi, everyone, and welcome. Good evening from Jerusalem, and welcome to another episode of the Jewish People Policy Institute's Inside Analysis and Look at Israel's War. I want to say, I was going to say against Hamas and the Gaza Strip, but based on what we're seeing in the images from the north today with that uh, serious barrage of rockets that landed in uh, one of the IDF bases not far from the border, things are definitely escalating up there as well. Uh, a boat, or I can't really call it a boat, a massive ship, which was seized just the other day, as Gil reminded me earlier, for by the Houthi rebels in Yemen and the ramifications of that, like because the ship linked to Israel. So we're seeing, how once again, this conflict is spreading, is widening, and, and exactly what the scope of all of that means for the continuation of Israel's operation, not only in the Gaza Strip, but also more regional security here as well. Today, we have an interesting lineup. I spoke earlier in the day with Matan Kahana. Matan is a former Air Force pilot, a colonel in the Israeli Air Force. As he tells me, he uh, has not been flying uh, for the last few years, and he's not flying in this war because after a period of time, you lose your operational uh, kind of credentials if you don't fly enough. And therefore, he's sitting this conflict out. But he had a lot of interesting insights into uh, not only the operation of the entire IDF on the ground, but also the, some of the different new tactics that the Air Force has been using and the way that it's providing air support uh, for the forces that are maneuvering on the ground inside Gaza. But we also spoke about the uh, emergency unity government, which he is a part of and was an advocate for uh, early on during the horrific months, it seems like a lifetime ago, <laughs> when we were fighting about judicial reform, but it wasn't that long ago, uh, and, and a few other things. And then uh, we have with us Gil Troy, professor, historian, senior fellow at JPPI, and Donna Van Luzon, a colleague also and fellow at JPPI and a TV host and uh, writer. So uh, we have a lot to talk about, a lot of interesting issues, flare-ups in the Knesset today at a debate about death penalty and Knesset members yelling at families of hostages, uh, always beautiful, uh, great, great stuff happening here in Israel. So we'll get to all of that. But first, uh, ladies and gentlemen, here is the interview I did earlier today with uh, Matan Kahana. Thank you very much for joining JPPI today. Uh, you are a former Air Force colonel. You spent a lot of years, many years in the, in the IDF. Uh, when you stepped down a few years ago, you, you went into politics. So I'm, I'm, I know that you're not flying now because now you're a politician, but uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're missing it, number one. And number well, two. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not a pilot anymore because uh, I felt that I'm not good enough to continue with this. Okay. Uh, but uh, I, I understand something about what's happening in the Air Force now. Right. So how do you how do you let's start high up top level? How do you understand the war as it's going on? Are, is Israel meeting this, the objectives? Is it successful so far? And what are the challenges that are still ahead as Israel contemplates a ground offensive into southern Gaza? Uh, well, uh, it's, a, it's a big question, you know, but uh, I think uh, that uh, things are going uh, well uh, till now, uh, although we have uh, casualties and uh, a lot of uh, soldiers are uh, getting uh, killed in this war. And uh, we are very sorry for each one of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, our enemy forced uh, forced on us uh, this uh, war. And uh, we realized that uh, it's a do-or-die war. 
So uh, now, uh, you know, after uh, two or three weeks of uh, air campaign, we started the ground campaign and uh, they are working uh, together. Okay, uh, the Air Force is helping, uh, helping the ground force uh, with the bombs and, uh, and so on. And, uh, you know, we don't have any other choice uh, but uh, going there and uh, look for all the terror channels and uh, their, uh, all their uh, ammunition and headquarters. And uh, it's uh, things that you can't do from, uh, by airstrikes. Mm -hmm. So uh, we need to do uh, these things. We gave them a general warning uh, to leave the area of the northern Gaza Strip. And, uh, you know, uh, in the past, we were very, uh, very, uh, we tried to do all, all what we could to avoid uh, the collateral damage and, uh, and hitting uh, uninvolved. And uh, we are still doing so. We never aim our uh, bones on uh, civilians. We are not looking for masks and schools and uh, the targeting on them. But uh, what we uh, did in the past by uh, like uh, knocking on the roof, if you know what I mean, yeah, and, sure. uh, and uh, calling uh, to each uh, uh, home and, say, and telling them, uh, be aware that uh, under your house there is uh, ammunition and uh, headquarters of uh, terrorists, so leave your house. Uh, now we can't uh, do so uh, because it's a different kind of, uh, uh, of war. And um, uh, we gave them a general warning. And uh, every uh, citizen in Gaza must know that if he sees a, a terrorist uh, from Hamas uh, near him, he is uh, he's putting his life in great danger. And uh, we will not aim on him, but, uh, but the Hamas uh, facilities and Hamas terrorists are a legitimate target, and uh, this is the face of war now. You, you know, you're one of maybe a handful of people in this country who served Osun Sayer at Matkal, one of the IDF's elite units, uh, which is also very active in this operation, and as a as a as a fighter jet pilot. And you flew, if I'm not mistaken, F-16s for many years. One of the things that, I, that has been interesting also in this war, from what I've heard, is right F-16 pilots, and you, you can explain this better than I can, when you're give, providing air support for troops on the ground, there's usually a, a, a safety buffer between where the Israeli soldiers are and where the enemy is. But in this war, the, the air support is closer than it's ever been, from what I'm hearing. Right? Can you explain what that means? In this war, the coordinate between the Air Force and the, the ground soldiers is much better than what I uh, in, in previous years. Okay, so for example, uh, when I was a squadron commander in uh, 2014, uh, to strike a target uh, that uh, near uh, our forces, uh, like uh, 300 meters, it uh, took uh, hours of coordinating. And now, because it's better... To make sure that you don't hit, God forbid, the Israelis. Yes, of course, of exactly. course. Right. Uh, I know that uh, from time to time, the Air Force is, uh, uh, is targeting uh, targets at uh, 150 meters from uh, our forces, and it, uh, it's uh, 15 minutes after they request it. Wow. So uh, the coordinating is, is much better than uh, 10 years ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, so there are a lot of differences between what uh, the period that I was a squadron commander. For example, uh, the average time of sortie 
of bombing sortie over Gaza Strip when I was uh, in the detective edge uh, operation in 2014. It was uh, almost two hours. Why it took us two hours? Because we uh, we get to, uh, we get there and we uh, we waited until the, our security services will uh, do the phone calls to the targets and then knocking on the roof. And then most of the time we get back to the base with the bombs on our wings. Okay, mm -hmm. but now they are taking off from all the bases. They know their targets. They are uh, flying over, uh, flying over Gaza Strip. They are, uh, do what they have to do and going back. And it takes them 40 minutes to 50 minutes. So wow. we are fighting now very different from uh, previous uh, operations. Uh, and but. Uh, Actually, they forced us to do so. All the, uh, the atrocities that is, we suffered, the massacres that we suffered in the 7th of October, uh, forced, that, forced us to act like this. Yeah. Matan, you were, you're a member of the National Unity Party that's led by uh, Benny Gantz, uh, who's now a member of the Inner War Cabinet. You were one of the first proponents, I think, or supporters of a uh, National Unity Government definitely after the war and after October 7th, but even before you started to talk about the need for this to happen and, and the country to come together because of the judicial reform and the division within Israeli society. It's hard for us as citizens who are watching, you know, we see once a week the press conference that Gantz has with Netanyahu and the defense minister, but how, how does it look from your perspective? It, are, is everyone getting along? Is the government functioning? Uh, you know, you know, Yaakov, as you said, uh, I was the first voice from the opposition uh, to call for unity government. And I did it uh, five months ago. In the, uh, all the fights uh, over the judicial reform, I realized that uh, we are so divided that uh, maybe a catastrophe uh, will, uh, will come. And uh, unfortunately, I was right. Uh, I thought that, uh, that we must uh, be uh, united again. And uh, I called it, uh, uh, as I said, five months uh, ago. Unfortunately, what made us, what uh, made us go in the government was this uh, terrible disaster of the seventh of October. And uh, I'm I'm very happy that at least now we are uh, in a unity government, uh, some uh, uh, yeah, in, in some kind of unity government. Um, you, uh, the most important thing is that. It's, it's important for the soldiers that are fighting in the front lines, in the frontiers. That they see that there's unity. They in the see that uh, we are all united, uh, united uh, to, together. And we, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, um, how we said it, it's a backwind. Uh, it's helping them to fight. Uh, and, and this is the most important thing. And the second thing is that uh, Benny Gantz and Gadi Eisenkot uh, were both uh, the chief of staff. Right. And the uh, Minister of Defense and uh, Benny was, and uh, their experience is uh, very important for, for this, uh, for what's happening now in Israel. So the government is functioning okay from your perspective? From my perspective, the, the security cabinet is uh, functioning uh, good, uh, good, yes, good enough. I want to, I want to, you, you came out with a video the other day that I want to share very, just quickly, like 20 seconds of it with our viewers, because I think it's interesting. And then I want to talk about it. So let me, let me play 20 second clip of this, and then we'll come right back to you. Europe, wake up. 
This is a wake-up call for Europe. Do you really think this war is about Israel? The massacre in Israeli towns, farming communities, and at a music festival on October 7th are a wake-up call for you. Nearly half a million people protested in London. More than 1,500 anti-Semitic incidents were registered in France in the last month alone. So let us be clear about this. These anti-Semitic acts are demonstrations in favor of Hamas ISIS. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the, the link to, to the video yeah. in the chat box. For, I recommend for, anyone to, everyone to look at the, this. For uh, our viewers to watch, because I think it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very powerful video. And you come at the end, you basically say, listen, they came after us on October 7th, but they're coming, they're coming after you in the West and in Europe. Where did this come from? What's the message that you're trying to give to people? And why was this important? Yaakov, this war, it's not a war against Israel. It's a war against all our Western way way of life. It's a war against our Judeo-Christians sets of values. And uh, we are in Israel only in the frontier of this war, in the front line of this war. And uh, if they will win us, they will go to Europe and the United States after us. And as I showed in the movie, in, in the, the short clip, uh, they are burning flags of France and they are burning flags of United States. They, uh, we are the little Satan. United States is the big Satan. You know, it's, it's a, some kind of religious re- uh, war, religion war. It's not against Israel. It's against the Western way of life. And uh, if they will not understand it, there, there is so there are so hypocrisies uh, about this. And uh, you know, I, when uh, one day I saw a, a movie uh, that shows uh, uh, destroyed the uh, city somewhere in the world, and uh, we realized that it's Mosul. Okay, when a Western country fight a pure evil, it's not nice. It's not nice, but uh, but. Uh, even if we are the strong one, it doesn't mean that we are those who are wrong. We are the righteous. We are those who are, uh, we are the light. And we are fighting a pure evil. Pure evil. We are fighting a monsters, monsters that uh, slaughter the women and, and uh, cut the stomach to, to take off, the, to take out the, the, the little baby and, and, and slaughter him also. So yeah. we are fighting the, the, the pure evil. And uh, it's a war not only for, uh, about Israel, it's a war about all the Western way of life. I recommend also to all our viewers, you should all watch this video. I'm putting it here in the chat box, the link, so everyone can see it and, and can click on it and share because it, it comes with a powerful message. Uh, m- member of Knesset, Matan Kahana, retired Air Force Colonel, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Yaakov. So uh, that was Matan Kahana. I hope that... Um, uh, Dana is able to join us back. Um, there was just to our listeners, there was just a uh, sirens that went off in in the center in Tel Aviv, not far from where Dana lives. So we'll have to see if she can come back from the. Uh, I'm guessing she's down in a bomb shelter or a safe room over the next few minutes. But Gil in Jerusalem, so far we're okay, so we might as well take advantage of that moment. Um, but I found, you know, I, I found what Matan Kahana said, a few things that were interesting. Uh, you know, obviously the air support, I think, is, is is extremely interesting. They're doing, you know, what he said, how it would take hours or you know, to plan a mission is now being done um, in, uh, in, in, in just minutes, right? Oh, Donna's back, right? Um, but what also was, you know, I asked him about the government and how's it functioning. And his answer was, 
the security cabinet is functioning well, right? Not the government. Am I reading too much into that? Well, before I get to that, I just want to contextualize what just happened. We've sort of taken it as normal that somebody who's sitting in Tel Aviv, somebody who's sitting in what we call the Merkaz, should simply absorb rocket fire. If this was happening in New York, in Toronto, in London, we would be outraged. And this doesn't just happen once. This has happened again and again and again. And so when the Western world tells us, oh, time for ceasefire, time to give up, time to slow down, you're the aggressors. Let's just remember what some of our our, our people just saw. And, and let's send a little bit love to our friend Don and to all the people in the Merkaz. This is an unacceptable situation. And it's coming from people who, as, as uh, Matan Kahana said, just want to destroy the entire West. And so, um, yeah, the, <laughs> our enemies are, are, are very scary to us. Um, we're not scared of them, but their behavior is, is is scary and unacceptable. But unfortunately, sometimes members of the broader government are equally scary. Uh, the I agree that the security cabinet is functioning well. You know, I'm going to be obnoxious here. And everybody threw that word coup around uh, in the first nine months of the year. To a certain extent, there's been a kind of constructive coup uh, of this dysfunctional con uh, coalition government, where basically a small group of people supported by uh, the majority have basically taken over the government and it's been working. And um, that's much closer in definition to a coup than a democratically elected government trying to change things, even if I disagreed with what they were trying to change. So the security cabinet has been able to, on the whole, put aside a lot of what I call the gunatic politics of January through, um, through October 6th. But to see it coming back, to see some of the behavior in the Knesset today, to hear the yelling, I, and, and I think what Matan Kahana said was so important, our soldiers, our soldiers need to understand that we are with them. Our soldiers need to understand that we don't just have a security cabinet which is functional, and not just a government that is functional, but that a society that is functional, and that we are behind them completely. I just heard yet another story today of a beautiful 21-year-old um, grandson of a friend of mine who's going to be buried uh, in an hour. And we, we deserve, they deserve a kind of government, a kind of society, a kind of consensus behind them. And, and the antics that we saw in the Knesset today, where hostage families, you can agree with them or disagree with them, were yelled at by right. uh, leaders from Otsma Yehudit, is just the kind of gunatic politics that we've got to end. So let's yeah. talk about that for a moment. Uh, today, I mean, just the background for, for our viewers and listeners, today there was a, a meeting at the Knesset, some of the members of family members of hostages of the almost 240 hostages who are still being held in the Gaza Strip came to that meeting. There was a proposal that was put on the table to pass the death penalty, as people may not know. Uh, we do not have a death penalty on the books. Uh, it was used uh, for Eichmann back, back in the day in the 1960s. But really, um, I mean, it's debatable. It's an interesting topic, by the way, uh, whether Israel should have it, should not have it. I'm kind of torn on it personally. We could talk about that in a bit. But um, the, the suddenly, as how often happens in, in the circus known as the Knesset, uh, chaos broke out. And the members, the family members, the relatives said to the Knesset members, don't pass a law that's going to uh, a death penalty because that will make the terrorists feel like they have nothing. You know, they'll just want to kill our family members who are being held hostage. Yeah. And that blew up, and Almog Cohen, who is this very aggressive, if I could call him that, and he is very aggressive, a member of Knesset, lashed out at them. Sudana, you yeah. had some thoughts about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, to be honest, 
I think we are all agreed that this is not the way to approach and to deal and to to emphasize with the family of the hostages. This is not the way to 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 treat them. It's unbelievable. To be honest, I can't even look in their eyes, and I'm just a citizen. And I, I I couldn't understand that, but I'm trying to not to give answers. I'm trying to ask some questions. Uh, we are talking about the collapse of conceptions here in Israel. And when we are asking the question if we need uh, a death penalty for terrorists, I'm not sure we still understand. Maybe we didn't woke up from the October 7th. Obviously, and I'm just putting this question maybe on the on the table, if we are dealing with terrorists who were willing to die when they were getting in Israel, doing what they did, and I'm sure they knew Israel is going to react in a very harsh way to what they have done. When you are dealing with terrorists, do you think you can act with carrots and sticks? Once we are giving them money, once we are going inside doing like a short operation, this is the the, the relationships Israel have with Hamas. But I'm not sure this is going to still work. And to think a penalty of a death penalty for a terrorist, maybe we didn't walk up from the conceptions which already proved that we're, we're wrong. I, I'm, I'm not sure uh, penalties is what they care. It's a terror organization. It's not a country when you are doing laws with them. I think we're missing something, don't you think? Your point is, is that we it, even that conversation about yes. legislation means that we're still stuck exactly in what we call in Hebrew the misconception, of right? Of course. The, the, uh, of course. The, the illusion, I've been calling it the illusion or the myth, there's someone to talk with. Well, or that they can be contained through the methods that we've used until now, laws, you know, home demolitions. The, 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 the issue of death penalty, Gil, does talk, touch upon, you know, a wide range of issues. And it's been it's been on the table. You know, I remember when it came up a few years ago after the Fogel massacre. Right. I mean, you know, I was thinking about actually the Fogel family. Uh, if pe- for, for people who might not remember, I think it was 2015, or was it before that, 2014? I can't I remember the exact year um, when two teenagers from a nearby village in uh, in the West Bank went into um, the, I think it was the settlement of, uh, of Itamar, was it? And uh, went into the home, murdered the parents, murdered three of the kids. Uh, one of the babies was in the crib, and, and, and the whole country was horrified and shocked by it, right? And people said at the time that these two then teenagers, I think 18, 19, or a little younger, 17, were caught, were captured and um and were 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 put on trial. And people said, no, they should I mean these these types of people, why are we putting them in jail? Why are we giving them the opportunity to go to jail where they, they can then get get a bug root, their matriculation exams, they can get a, a degree, they can potentially get married. Their families will, you know, they'll get a salary one day. They might even be released in a prisoner swap, like what might be happening right now. These people should be killed. America, many states have death penalty. Um, 
but Israel has really never done it except for that one case that we spoke about of Adolf Eichmann, the Nazi. What do you think, Gil? So indeed, so it was, yeah, a, it was a 2011. Uh, 2011. Not that I have a better memory, but just I Googled while you were speaking. <laughs> I was mm. rude. Um, and uh, look, let, let's take a step back and look at crime and punishment. Crime and punishment, um, had, there are two sides to it. One is the degree to which you want to dis disincentivize and punish the oppressor, the aggressor, the criminal. And there's a second question of what does it say about the society? And we've seen, for example, right now in the United States of America, this notion that you're not going to um, you're not going to prosecute shoplifters nine hundred of nine hundred dollars or under has kind of said, okay, to to shoplifters, you can shoplift up to eight hundred ninety nine dollars. So that's actually a, a, a conversation that goes on with offenders. And in the United States of America, when they've been much harsher on street crime, street crime has gone down. The prisons have have been overcrowded because street crime has gone down. So when we talk about the death penalty in Israeli society, it really gets to two highly sensitive possessions. One is, indeed, how do we deal with terrorism? What Dan is asking, who are these people? Yeah. What are we thinking? How are we trying to disincentivize them? How are we trying to punish them? But the deeper question of the death penalty has always been about Israel's soul. And the fact that we said, okay, one time for his crimes against humanity, for this mass murder of so many Jews, Adolf Eichmann deserves the death penalty after an international trial, after a trial where, where he had the best possible defenses was one thing. And we kind of boasted about the fact that we don't do that. Because part of the also part of the question also is, is who's going to press the button? Who's going to be the executioner? What does that do to me or my son or my neighbor? And if I don't want to do it, why how would can I do you it on you? How can you look at yourself when you're doing that? About right. to as I as I felt before, I'm not sure. It's gonna it's gonna help. I'm right. sorry, so it, I don't so, believe it's gonna help. I'm questioning is what it was. What does it do for us? Yeah. On the other hand, I, I think understand. after October seventh, and it's interesting the game of the conceptia, right? Uh, your October sixth thinking, October seventh thinking. I think after October seventh, more and more Israelis are saying what you're saying, Yaakov. One is we don't want another Gilad Shalit deal. We don't want to kind of be grooming these terrorists uh, so that they can just simply be. Uh, incentives, talk about incentivizing, incentives for more hostage taking. And the second is the notion of these people who did the most unspeakable crimes against women, against children, against babies, uh, against human beings will be sitting in jail in comforts is really, really hard for Israeli society. But I really wish we were able to push this debate off until after the war. And that is my problem with some of these Knesset members who have forgotten basic decency. And that's not a political statement. That's a moral statement. And I need more people who are on their side, more people from within the coalition to police them. And I'm using that word, that obnoxious word that comes from the academy. And to say, whoa, we have bigger issues. If we're going to say to the left, don't go after Bibi, don't go with uh, day after stuff, don't go after where were you on October 6th, 5th, 4th, etc., then we on the right, have to also have the similar kind of discipline. And that's what's been missing in this country, that sense of mutuality, that sense of mutual, I don't know if uh, we can say the word, responsibility. Yeah, but uh, I think we are trying. You, you, you are hearing all the time people saying, stop doing politics. Let's wait with the politics or with some issues to after the war. But I think it, it's not really happening. We see that every few days, it goes again. People start to fight on issues which are not at the right time. It's big. It's 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 like they can't but, help themselves. But I think it's because 
people like I'm not asking Gil where was BB on October fourth, fifth, and sixth. I'm asking where was BB for the last fifteen years, right? And 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 I think that to to Donna's point, there's a question when it comes to the politics, and I and I'm not I'm not justifying Almo Cohen and and what happened in the Knesset today because some things do need to be above politics and some things there needs to be some sense, you know, sanctity to two uh, families that are going through the most unimaginable torture, not knowing what's happening to their loved ones. But um, the, the, the when the politics become part of the war, which unfortunately I think they are today, then there does, there, there does have to be something of a discussion about that. And I, I want to, in the, in the few minutes we do have left, I, I want to just talk about the, um, the hostages, right? Because that seems to be moving ahead one way or another. And it's very difficult to know. I actually told my mother the other day, who, like many people uh, and Jews around the world, is uh, addicted to the television screen and watching. And I said, Mom, is one of the talking heads occasionally on these things. There's nothing to, you don't need to watch. Because if there's in, if there's news, it'll you'll get it. Like To watch all those people just babbling all day, including myself. But you know why uh, you do that? You do that because you are helpless. You don't know, right. it's like, you are helpless. You don't know how what to do when you're having so many hostages. You're like, what can I do? So you feel you cannot disconnect from the television you cannot disconnect yourself with from what's going on you're saying i'm going to watch every minute because this is the way we feel we are trying to do something to be part of this thing we don't know it's like it's very and knowledge difficult. and knowledge gives a sense of some security and, yeah and some and some some safety but and control you feel like maybe you are a bit of control on a situation to be honest we are not in control yeah. that's sad and we have zero control. I actually heard a, a, a father of uh, of one of the hostages today on the radio saying, I do not want to watch or know anything. I want them to come and tell me, be here or here when this or this, you know, when they're, when the, someone is released, tell me where to go. That's what I'm interested in. But look, there, there's a bigger issue here. And the bigger issue, I think, and this is what I want to put to both the, to, to Donna and Gil, is the deal that might be in the works. And we don't know exactly what the deal is, but a deal that will release the, you, you have two basic, you have two interests that are colliding here. And it's complicated to talk about these things, right? But but it, you understand why in a moment, you have two interests that are colliding. One is the priority of getting back the hostages and the social contract that has been broken. And the fact that so many civilians, children, babies, elderly, women, of course, mothers and men uh, were taken is, is, is a breach of the social contract between the government and its people. Soldiers, we can maybe talk about differently, maybe, but um, also very complicated, but not when it's so many civilians. And on the other hand, when the when the when one of the conditions in the deal is the suspension or a ceasefire of a number of days, we all can imagine how this scenario can play out. First of all, four or five days that you stop your operation, you have a military machine that's now in Gaza. That's moving. It's 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 pushing forward. It's powerful. You stop. You got to pull back because you can't remain static. You have to pull back to safety positions. So you've lost some of your momentum. That's one. Two, when you're going to be ready to restart in four or five days, suddenly Hamas will say, oh, I got another 10. I'll give you. Give me another day or two. It's another day or two. Then suddenly Biden gets on the phone to Bibi. and says, Bibi, you've already given them six days. 
I got, let, let, there, there's a way that we could just end this. You know you're like, you're, you're saying you are afraid that if we will allow them for a few days uh, in order to get, I hope, as much as hostages as we can, you're afraid it's, it's, it will be like a non-ending story. I'm afraid it'll be like a non-ending story. I'm afraid it will undermine the larger objective, which is the degrading and the as much as possible elimination of Hamas and the removal of Hamas as the governing force in Gaza. And I understand that you have mm, two I, priorities I, and two interests yeah. that are colliding here that might not match up. The, the fate of 240 people versus, to some extent, now they also connect I can't say one is opposed to the security of the state of Israel, because if we don't get back the hostages, what does that mean for the security of the state of Israel? But this is complicated stuff. No, I, I, so I'm, after I'm, I've I'm given all sure. that, <laughs> I don't I'm even know what sure. the question is. But Donna, yeah. give me your thoughts. Yeah. And then you I will. Go. I will. I will share. To be on uh, the thing that is frightening me the most is that the hostages won't be back because I think this is the biggest issue that can break Israel morality and state as a state. If you as a country cannot bring people, your people back, we don't have a right for a country. I'm sorry to say that in a very harsh way. We had so many opportunities to kill Hamas and we didn't do that. And now to say, now we are going all the way and we are not going to bring them back before doing that. And we are saying we cannot stop now. I think the city, the, you know what happened every week on the on Kaplan, you know, uh, you can you imagine, can you just imagine what will happen in Israel if they won't stop and bring the hostages back? I think the country will just won't handle it. I don't think you will have citizens here to talk anymore. Nobody will be able to to bear that. So if you need to stop in order to bring them, in my point of view, it's your first priority. Okay, Gil. Look, it's it's a heartbreaking issue. I want to you know see you and raise you emotionally. In addition to the news coverage, this is a very small shtetl, and the country is awash in rumors. I'm not going to repeat any of the rumors on air, yeah. but all of us, I'm sure in the last three, four, I've five heard. days, have heard all kinds of rumors. And if I'm hearing them, it means every hostage parent and brother and sister and best friend, we always talk about the relatives, we miss the friends, is hearing the rumors. And that adds to the psychological torment. That's number one. Number two, today I was walking, it was a rainy warm morning in Jerusalem, and I just passed one of those hostage posters that in Israel we don't tear down, but we all stop and it breaks our heart. And because of the rain, the, the 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 faces had had faded away a little bit, and, and and it really brought tears to my eyes. I thought this is exactly what's happening. The world through their indifference, the world through their weakness. It's not just down an Israel problem. It's the, and and the world through their pressure on us. Ceasefire, ceasefire, ceasefire. Have basically made these people disappear. Having said that, so I really feel this emotionally and empathetically. There are three numbers out here. One is the two hundred forty hostages, whoever's still alive. Two is nine million Israelis who are in the sites of Hamas and Hezbollah, going back to your opening, Yaakov, what's going on in the north. And three, right now we have 40,000 
soldiers, I'm just repeating what I've read in the Times of Israel, so I'm not giving anything away, um, in Gaza. And uh, and in addition to what you were saying, Yaakov, one of the things that scares me is that in those four or five days of a ceasefire, the, all the operational intelligence we have becomes irrelevant. And their ability to run away and to, re, and, 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 and to reconnoiter, and then our kids' lives are on the line. So it's very, very complex. And I think the the, the issue, the way you frame it, Dana, is to me whether it would be an issue of Israel broke the covenant or this government broke the covenant. And to the extent that we can, uh, I'm never not supposed to get into politics, but I will on a certain level, to the extent that we can throw the government under the bus and say this was a governmental failure and we're going to have a real reset. And again, for me, part of that reset has to be not just a matter of new leaders, but also a really new, a new tone in government, new conceptions. Maybe that can be the healing moment for whatever ends up in terms of the these three dramas. Where are the nine million Israelis? And I think every day about if I was living in Kiryat Shmona, if I lived like my cousin lived in Kibbutz Nirim, at what point would I move back in? That's the nine million dollar question, if you will, the nine million person question. The 40,000 person question is all of us with kids in the army, when are they gonna get home and how are they gonna get home safely? And the 240 person question. So it's very, very complex. And, uh, and, and the real question is whether from all the pain and from the incredibly high price we're all gonna have to pay and we are paying daily and weekly, we can somehow reconstitute a social covenant and a political covenant, but it's quite clear that at a certain point, the government's gonna have to go. And the government's gonna have to be the seer lazazel, the, the scapegoat for this massive, massive failure, but without also blame, without letting that absolve others of their guilt. IDF has to take responsibility. The American government has to take responsibility. All the New York Times experts have to take responsibility, and 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 everybody in between. By the way, I mean, I, I the other thing that's been sitting on my mind a lot is what we also have to be prepared for is how this ends. Right now, it, it will take time, and it won't end with one day it's all over. Because I think Israel will have to retain operational security control and we'll have to go in and out and maintain maybe a buffer and what's going on with, with how are you going to deal now with the new gaza correct and that's a whole that's a story that will come wow i don't know but but the hostages are also uh this could potentially you could see the pull out of those forty thousand soldiers that you mentioned gil without getting the hostages back or without getting all of them back and then but with Hamas removed from power, but hostages still being kept. So did we win? Did we not win? Is was the war a success? Was it not a success? And I don't I don't want to answer that because No, I don't answer, want to answer I, I don't have a good looking, answer. I'm, I'm not asking it as a question because I don't think yeah. there is a good answer, but I think that these are these are issues that the definition of victory, people want to think that this is a Hollywood movie. Oh and no, it's Bruce not. Willis will say you know, whatever that famous line was from Die Hard, and then, you know, we'll go sailing off into the sunset and there will be a victory. This is not what we're facing here. This is the, the nature of this conflict, the battle itself, the challenges that are on the ground with the Hamas and the hostages and everything else together. And we have to be prepared for that. And that's that that's what I would expect also from a responsible government, is that they would be preparing the public for what is going to come. Um, and the leadership vacuum is so depressing here. Correct. We need so, Churchill. We need Roosevelt. We need Ben Gurion. We need Ben Gurion. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to say a sentence. Yes. Um, 
even though it's not so it's not a good one i'm sorry to say but since the october 7th i really feel we we lost i'm sorry it's it's too it's 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 too big it for for once in, maybe we should be honest it's it's not a it's not it's not a victory and it's it won't be even if even even if you bring back the hostages and i'm i really hope so it's not a victory there's no victory is even possible no 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 even even if they will be back yeah. to be honest it's not because but, of the because it's say, because what happened in october yeah, yeah. 7 it's I, it's too I, much I, it was too I, much i i think that's very powerful because we're also forgetting the other number which is 1400 already dead Yeah. And and 360 or 380 yeah. of our finest soldiers yes. did. Yes. But I do so, want to say that it is possible without using the word victory. I think that's very powerful and I and I and I and I accept that it's possible that 2 years from now our citizens will be in a safer place in a better place. Our politics will be in a more moral, more constructive place and our society will be in a more united place. And you're right, we'll never get over the loss, yeah. but but our Zionist challenge and our Zionist responsibility and our friends from abroad have to help us make sure that at least we have a positive day after. And you're right, we, we will, we will wish for that. Victory. In yeah. the same way, you have to stop using the language of crushing Hamas, but we do mm-hmm. need a, a, certain kind of, a, a certain kind of day after in the most positive of ways. But, but let, me, let me just say one last thing. And that is that the Yom Kippur War, and I wasn't around back in 1973, but the Yom Kippur War in, in the aftermath was, was a disaster. But when you look at it, and I don't think just today, but even in the years after, Israel was caught by surprise, and that was the disaster. And the misconception, right, that word was also back then. But Israel held on to its territory, pushed back Syria, pushed back Egypt, and did not lose an inch of land. And when wars used to be about territory, like they were back in 1973. So even that war, which started terrible, When you look at the the significance and the war, the loss for Egypt was what brought Sadat to understand that peace was the only option to a large extent. Maybe there was a victory there. Now, too early for us to tell. Yeah, I think we need time. Of course. For now, time. now it's too difficult. It's we, too we need so much more time. Yeah. I want to thank everyone for joining us this evening. Thank you to Donna. Thank you to Gil. Thank you to JPPI and to our viewers and listeners. We'll be back tomorrow with another fascinating episode of thank the inside you. look at Israel's war against Hamas. Good night. Good night.